All right, well, we've been working through the book of Luke together for quite some time as a church family, the gospel according to Luke on the life of Jesus, his, his mission, his message, and we'll just continue on today. We land in Luke chapter 11, and so if you have a Bible, you can flip on over to Luke chapter 11. We'll put it up on the screen for you. We have Bibles around the room. If you don't have one at home, uh, bring that home, break it in. Uh, we also want to encourage you to download the Bible app so you can have it on your phone. You can listen to it on the train on the way to work. It'll actually click play and speak back to you, read the Bible to you. So that's pretty helpful. Uh, but get, get your eyes on Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you that when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. And you laughed at me. And so I'm still praying uh, that God would help me to forgive you and not be mad at you for that. Uh, but yes, I was a wrestler in high school. And before our matches, we had a couple of routines that we would do, as any people do when they're doing athletic events. Uh, one of the routines that we did was we would chant together. And we would, we would chant the phrase, we don't mess around. And the way we would do it is we would kind of huddle in the circle around the wrestling mat. And uh, we would lock arms and we would say it one word at a time and build the sentence. So we started with we, we don't, we don't mess, we don't mess around. We don't mess around, hey, we don't mess around, hey, and we get faster and louder and just as manly as our little squeaky high school voices could go. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we thought that would intimidate the opponents, but, you know, Ricky, they don't mess around. We better, better, you better be serious, right? And uh, so that was one of the things we did. And then the other thing to, to show our softer side is after we'd be all barbaric and chanting, we don't mess around. Then we would get even tighter in our huddle, and we would recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And if Johnny or Ricky, whatever his name was, wasn't already intimidated, he's definitely intimidated now to see that we have God on our side and not on their side. And so we'd say the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know, I don't know your background this morning, uh, not every one of you, but, but I'm sure for many of us, this is kind of how we've learned to handle the Lord's Prayer or the, the Our Father. And the truth is, that's closer to voodoo than it is to what the Lord intended this prayer to be for us. Am I lying? It's closer to voodoo. It's, it's a, a spiritual chant for good luck or some kind of spiritual chant to inflict harm on somebody else. And, and that's not a, at all what Jesus wants for us. And so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke chapter 11. We're just going to kind of break it down line by line. And I, I think it's safe to say that we probably all need help with prayer. I need help with prayer. I think we all need help with prayer. When I talk to people about their prayer life, most people will say something like, well, you know, pastor, it could be better. Or, you know, I, I get in the moment, I want to pray, and I just get stuck. I don't quite know what to, to say. Or some people say, it kind of feels stale right now. Or, or some of us, if, if, if we're honest, we'd have to say, it's just hard. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I'm praying and praying. And for the thing that I'm seeking, it's just not, it's not happening. It's not going the way I'm asking God for it, for it to go. And, and a lot of times we like to stand up and give great praises on how God has answered prayer. But do we ever stand up and say, praise God, he's not answering my prayer the way I want it to go right now. Praise God, I'm praying, praying, praying. And it seems like nothing's happening. We don't, we don't ever do that. We don't ever talk about how sometimes I feel crazy when I pray. Anybody? Sometimes I feel like, am I talking to myself right now? Is anybody listening? Am I losing my mind? We only share the success stories, but I think it's important to be open and honest with how we actually feel about our prayer lives. And I'd encourage you right now to let some of those struggles, some of those questions start to kind of come to the front of your mind. Prayer is work. I don't know if you know that. It's work. Colossians chapter 4 speaks to this guy named Epaphras. And it, and it says that he's always wrestling in prayer. You ever thought about prayer as wrestling? That's, that's the appropriate wrestling prayer combo right there. Wrestling in prayer where you're pleading with God. And God, I'm, I'm sharing my heart. I'm pouring it out. Do you hear me? And there's deep transformation happening in your soul. You might not even realize it. But I bet if we were completely honest in here, this is how some must feel. Prayer is hard. Prayer is awkward. Prayer is heavy. Prayer is difficult. Or maybe for some of us, prayer is just really virtually non-existent. And my hope this morning is not to shame you 
Olivia feeling like, man, I'm a jerk. I'm terrible. What a Christian am I? I, I'm not praying very much. That's not my hope. Instead, my hope is that this would be catalytic for you. It would invigorate, breathe life into your prayer life so that you might be a man or a woman of prayer so that we might increasingly become a a church family marked by by prayer. One of my great heroes of, of the faith said, nothing of eternal significance takes place apart from prayer. And I deeply believe that. We want to make an eternal difference. And it's not going to happen apart from prayer. So let's, let's jump into this vitally important aspect of our spiritual life. And so let's see what Jesus has to say. Look with me at Luke chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so just dive right in. We learn that Jesus is praying. Now this is one of nine Jesus prayers recorded in the book of Luke. More than any other gospel book, nine prayers, specific prayers from Jesus. Seven of the nine prayers in the book of Luke are unique to the book of Luke. They're only in the book of Luke. And so Luke is trying to describe for us Jesus' vibrant prayer life. We've seen this all throughout the book of Luke that Jesus is constantly, constantly praying. It's this major priority for him. We see him go into secluded places to pray. We see him get up early to go and and, and to pray. And if God needs to pray, just saying, we need to pray too, right? And so we need to be a praying people. So Jesus is praying. It says when he finishes praying, his disciples say, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And we heard that John's disciples taught him how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And one thing we get right out of the gate, I want to pause here and take some time here, camp here a little bit before we actually get into the meat of the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. One thing we get right out of the gate is that Jesus' disciples are often with him as he's praying. I mean, think with me. Let your mind go there for a minute. Just how frequently Jesus' disciples are with him as he's praying. We hear about him going to secluded places and praying. And we kind of picture him in the woods by himself praying. But they're sometimes hovering around Jesus as he's praying. He lets them in on his prayer life. So happens here, of course. Happens in Luke chapter 9. It says that, that he's praying alone. And then it says, and the disciples were with him. It's not exactly alone, but the disciples are are with him. Luke chapter 9 also says that he brings Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Luke chapter 10 says he prays, and then he turns to his disciples. So they're right there with him. Luke chapter 22 says that he brings his three closest disciples with him as he prays over what's about to happen in the cross, about the, the crucifixion. He's praying. He's sweating drops of blood. You know how intense that kind of prayer is? And, and they're right there with him, just a, a few steps behind him. Luke chapter 5 says that, that the disciples, they, they report this. They say, we'd often see him withdraw to desolate places to pray. And so even sometimes they weren't necessarily with him, but they'd, they'd see him go away. That They'd see that and would mark in their minds, this must be very, very important to Jesus. And so it wasn't simply mealtime prayer. It was this thing that he constantly was, was doing. And we want to be like Jesus, don't we? We want to be humble enough and, and become vulnerable enough to be like Jesus and allow people to look through this window into our heart. Look through the window of our, our prayer life. Not simply bedtime prayer with our kids or, or, or mealtime prayer or, or connection group prayer, but but other occasions where we open ourselves up and make ourselves vulnerable so that people can see into some of the parts of our souls as we pray to the Lord. I'll never forget when this this concept clicked for me about how people are looking into your heart as, as you pray and they're, and they're with you in prayer. I'll never forget, I was, uh, I was quite a bit younger and I, I was pouring my life into a bunch of students. And uh, there was this one girl named, named Liz. And, and I remember this, this one particular night, Liz just started to pray. And it hit me hard. I was blown away. This girl sounds like me right now. 
It just, it was crazy. She, she opened her prayer the way I tend to open my prayer with prayers of thanksgiving as we read in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, she started to use phrases that, that I tend to say. She, even her tone was similar to my tone when I pray. And then she closed how I tend to close my prayers. And I was just kind of kind of shocked and it, and it hit me that night that my, my prayer life is connected to my discipleship. And, and your prayer life is connected to your discipleship. And we should all be disciple makers. We should all be pouring our lives into somebody else. And your prayer life is just deeply connected to your discipleship. Not that our prayer lives are, are for a show, our, our attention, our affection should be fully on the Lord. Jesus warns about praying for show like the Pharisees who would just babble in the streets, lofty words, so the people would be very impressed. We're not doing it for show. How, however, prior to our prayers, we need to invite people into this dimension of our lives. Do you have people in that dimension of your life, your, your prayer life, like Jesus did? Notice that the prayer is our Father, not my Father. Our Father. We're, we're praying to our Father. At least the Matthew 6 version. That's the other version uh, in the Gospels. A complete and unabridged version. We'll refer to that off and on as we continue on. But you pray with your significant other. You can pray with your friends. You can pray with your family members. You can uh, pray most definitely with your children. You, you can pray with people that you mentor. You can pray with people who are hurting. You can pray with people who are celebrating. And what you'll find is as you open up your prayer life into some more public places, other people will be deeply impacted. I've never had somebody turn me down when I said, can I pray for you? Never. Never. And I prayed for people in some crazy places. I went to the Bronx and was praying for people. Say, hey, random question, but can, can we pray for you? Really? And by the end of it, we had people sobbing. Nobody's actually cared for me that way. Or I didn't think you could pray something other than our Father who art in heaven. And, and they were just deeply moved. People are moved by prayer and they get to see into your heart. It's a deep part of your discipleship. And you'll find that they're going to imitate your prayer life. And that's what these disciples are verbally seeking from Jesus. Some of the things that they'll imitate from you, you'll find, are the frequency of your, your prayers. How often do you pray? And the people that are looking to you are going to pray as often as you pray. The disciple is going to become like his teacher. They'll imitate the occasions for your prayer. In other words, what are the occasions that you choose to pray in? What are the appropriate occasions for prayers, again, is it just mealtime? Is it just bedtime? Or how about when somebody's hurting? Can you come up beside them and lay hands on them? One of the things we've got to stop doing in the life of the church is, I'll pray for you and then go pray for them, is right now, we're together. Let me put my arm around you. Let me hug you. Let's pray right now. Pray for people when they're, they're hurting. Pray for your child when they're nervous. One of my children has this thing where, where he gets, gets really nervous in these weird moments. And I say, let's just stop and let's pray. And we pray and it's amazing. How about when somebody is hurt? Stop kissing your child's boo-boo as if that does anything. How about instead, let's pray for your boo-boo. Let's pray for God to help you and to heal you and to comfort you. Another occasion to pray is, is, is when you're celebrating something perhaps. You ever gone to somebody's house and they just got a brand new house or they just moved into an apartment? You ever said, hey, can we just pray God's blessing over this place? You don't need the professional Christian, the pastor to come do it. You do it, right? Your prayers are just as effective as, as my prayers. There are limitless occasions for, for prayer. We are called to pray without ceasing. And as we pray, people get in on your prayer life. Open up, be vulnerable, and expose your heart and pray with other people. So people are going to imitate the frequency of your prayer. They're going to imitate the occasion of your prayer. And one other thing that they're going to imitate is the content of your prayer. They're going to pray about what you're praying about. And here's where we really want to look to Jesus. So let's just go line by line through this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Read with me Luke 11, 2 through 4. 
It says, and he said to them after they asked him how to pray, he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew 6 is the, the longer unabridged version that you're probably more familiar with. Remember the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, how do I approach the Lord? What should I be praying about? What matters? And the first thing that he says is what? He says, approach God as Father. As Father. Now that's a, that's a powerful word, Father. I don't know if we realize how powerful that word is for, for good and for, for bad. In the vast majority of pastoral counseling that we do with our church, and no matter how unrelated the topic may be, Father comes up with an incredible frequency. We didn't even start there. We didn't even go there, but somehow we ended up with Father because it's powerful in a person's life. If you look through cultures, the flourishing cultures of cultures where, where fathers are living as they're called to live and, and cultures that are declining and struggling, one rampant thing is fatherlessness, men not being what they're called to be. Jesus says, Approach God as Father. Approach God as Father. He's that good and perfect Father who deeply loves His children. Skip ahead with me to, we're going to skip the prayer. Go all the way down to 11 and and 12 and, and 13. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... That's me and you, men, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? So he says, okay, let's, let's talk about fathers for a moment. He says, what father out there, if his son asks for a fish, says, let me give you something else, scale. Here's a snake. Ah! He says, he says, what father, if your son asks for an egg, says, well, here's a scorpion. No, no father does that. He says, if you who are evil, that's you and me, were sinful, but we're less than the glory of God. He says, if, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, you'd never do that. How much more the one who is not evil, how much more your heavenly father who is, is perfect will give you what you need. See, oftentimes when we pray, we, we kind of approach God like he's the grumpy wizard of Oz. Don't we? Like, Please give me something, if we're annoying enough or, or if we're, we're lucky enough, he, maybe he'll give us what we want. No. He, he wants to give us good gifts. He, he wants to give us good gifts. Problem is, is sometimes our requests are terribly skewed from what's good. Would you admit that there's been times in your life where you thought you needed this, God came through and you're like, wow, that was actually what I needed. I'm so glad he didn't give me what I thought I needed. Or you, you said, I want this now, and he said, yes, but not now. And aren't you, in hindsight, glad that he didn't give it to you when you asked for it at that moment, and maybe later because there was some deep stuff that needed to happen in your heart? I could sit here and just list a handful of stories, handful of life seasons, handful of years in my life where that was true, just praying, praying, praying. It was yes, just not now. And he knew how to give me what I needed at the right time. Good gifts. He wants to give you what's best for you. And, and Jesus points out, ultimately what's best for you is the Holy Spirit. In other words, God gives us himself. And that's the best picture of how we are to approach God as, as Father. That we should have this desire to just be with him. He gives us himself. Sometimes my daughter, you know her, her name's Nora, she's four, will, will approach me and she'll say something like, so dad, she smacks a lot in between her words like she's from California or something. So, Dad, um, so, um, I, so, um, Dad, um, and she says a whole bunch of nothing. She likes to start talking before she even knows what she's going to say. Why? Because she just wants to talk to Dad, that's all. She really has nothing to talk about. She just wants to talk to Dad. You know what I don't do? Come on, let's go. Spit it out. Let's go. I got to get out of here. No, I, I just find it adorable that she's smacking and 
talking and twirling her hair. I just, I, I love it. I just, I deeply love being with my daughter, even in the midst of her weak communication. We approach God as Father. We don't approach God with precision every time. We don't approach God super articulate every time. We just approach God. Another thing my kids don't do is they don't go, when they they want something of me, they don't go, most lofty and gracious father of mine. Oh, dearest father bestoweth upon me a snack pack. They don't do that, do they? They just talk to me. They're, they're, They're real with me. There's no need for, for flowery language. You do not have to impress God. You certainly shouldn't be trying to impress other people. God just wants you to, to talk with him. I'm impressed when my daughter does a somersault, even though the X Games is on the television right in front of me, right? So she doesn't really have to try too hard to impress me. She's my daughter. I'm thrilled by every little move that she makes. Several times in the Bible, it will say about you and God's thoughts towards you. It says he delights in you. That God delights in you. Who, me? Yeah. You. So boldly approach him as father, knowing that he loves when you come to him. And we're so kind of used to this idea of father, we don't see just how revolutionary it was for the people of Israel. Jesus says, you can approach him as father. They had heard of God as father before, but more God as a father of the nation, not so much this personal God who's your father. He's adopting you directly, specifically into his family. It was a revolutionary teacher. Approach him as father. Let's go on. Next line. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means set apart. It means holy. It means revered. Remember, Jesus says, whenever you pray, pray like this. Whenever you pray. Hear that again. Whenever you pray, pray like this. In other words, every single prayer that you utter should be centered on making much of the name of our God. Whenever you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, Every time you pray, your prayers should be God-centered. Now here's where it starts to get a little convicting. Is that true of you and your prayer life? That your prayers are God-centered? Or are they more me-centered? I believe that if we left with this concept alone, we would leave with so much to grow in. It would drastically change most of our prayer lives. And understand that, that, that God knows that when your eyes are fixed on him, when you are completely centered on him, as the great song says, the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And so he says, fix your eyes on me, make everything centered on me. And when you are centered on me, I'm telling you, you're where you need to be because it's appropriate. You're honoring and focusing on the one you should be honoring and focusing on. And it's the best place for you. And the concerns of light become very light. Everything else in this prayer, as we read ahead, in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, everything else flows out of, hallowed be your name. A lot of times we just think it's like this thing. We just start with, God, you're good. You're God. You're holy. Let's moving on to what I actually want to talk about. No, everything flows out of, Lord, the purpose of my life is to make much of you, to hallow your name. To see you set apart, to see you honored, to see you glorified. Everything flows out of that. So we continue on. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, your kingdom, which is the the rule and the reign of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives and the lives of people around us, that's what I'm after. That's my objective. Is that there would not just be me hallowing your name, but people all over the globe would be hallowing your name, would be revering you, would be respecting you, would be honoring you. That's what I'm after. Let me remind you that we're in the middle of a series within the greater series in the book of Luke. This will give us some understanding, some perspective of what Jesus is doing here. And the series that we've been focusing on for several weeks now is on being sent on the mission 
of Jesus. We're on Jesus' mission. And so he says here, he says, whenever you pray, your prayer should always be concerned with kingdom advancement. Your kingdom come. That means that even when you're praying for health, and you should pray for health, that it's God-centered. God, I want to be cancer-free so that I have more life on this earth to magnify your name. God, I, I, I want to, to have this provision so that I can continue forward and, and hallow your name and magnify your name and advance your, your kingdom and make much of you. And make much of you. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So if God, if it would greater glorify you, if I, I pass away early in life because of this cancer, it's kind of like what Jesus said in the garden as he's praying and sweating drops of, of blood. He, he does pray, God, not the cross. If there's some other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, he's praying for health. He's praying for healing. He's praying to get out of this particular situation. But he's also praying for it in a way where it's all about the name of the Lord and about kingdom advancement. Whatever best magnifies your name, your will be done. Those are those very hard wrestling kind of prayers that we were talking about at the beginning, aren't they? God, I think I know what's best. I'm praying for it. I'm asking for it because you tell me to. But if this is better, I want that. You ever feel that tension? You ever pray for something and say, but God, I want your will. I don't know. Should I pray for this? I don't know. Should I make this caveat, way of escape? Lord, give us this. But if you got something else. You ever wrestle with that tension? I wrestle with it all the time. How do I pray? I don't know. You pray. You talk to God. You bear your soul open. You say, here's what I want. Here's what I think is best. But God, I trust you. It all comes down to God, I, I trust you. Whenever you pray, you pray like this. Whenever you pray. Every prayer. Not just when you're reciting the Lord's Prayer. And it's okay to recite from time to time. I don't think we pray it over and over and over again as if it brings any value, repetition. In fact, Jesus speaks against idle babbling. And so that whole concept in the Roman Catholic Church is very skewed. Do it eight times, ten times, whatever. But whenever we do pray, whether it's that prayer or some other prayer, it's to be prayed this way. We approach him as Father. We hallow his name. And we pray that this is going to contribute to kingdom advancement. Next line. Give us each day our daily bread. Ah, there we go. Ah, here we come. Now it's the self-centered prayers. That's good. Let's, let's go. Self-centered prayer. Feed me, Lord. Right? Nope. It's not a self-centered prayer. How do I know? The caveat. Each day. Did you hear that? Each day day our daily bread. Matthew chapter 6 says, give us this day, today, our daily bread. And so how is Jesus instructing us to pray for our food, for needs that we think we need, for, for stuff? He says, Father, give me this day's food. Not too much, not too little, just enough. Father, give me what I need so that I can spend this day making much of you. Give us this day our daily bread. Boy, this does a number on frivolous living, doesn't it? Really does. Really does. Listen to Psalm or Proverbs chapter 30, 7 through 9. Perhaps this is where Jesus got it from. He says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Just this day. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Did you hear that prayer? That's what Jesus is talking about. Give us this day our daily bread. Just, just enough. Otherwise, I'll get too rich and say, Jesus, who's Jesus? I'm a self-made man. Or I'm poor and I might have to rip off Burger King. He says, no, no. 
I don't want to do that either because that would dishonor you. Too much, I tend to dishonor you. Too little, I'm going to steal and I'm going to dishonor you. In other words, God, you know my heart. You give me just enough. Don't let my provisions, don't let stuff lead me to sin. Now, for some of us, he will give you more. But this is to be used for what? It's to be used to make much of his name and to advance his kingdom. And so we have to be very cautious about how we use what God gives us that is well beyond what we need for this day. We've really got to check our heart. We've really got to check how we use our possessions. Because if he gives you more than this day, it's because he's expecting something of you. Because Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is also required. And just in case you're ruling yourself out right now, that's all of us in the room. Compared to the rest of the world, we're all, every one of us, filthy rich. We have more than this day's bread. So are you praying to that end? Lord, give me this day. And beyond that, I want to use for your purposes. And today, I want to use for your purposes. Give me my daily bread. Let that guide your prayers for provision, for stuff, for the things that you need. Next line of prayer, verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus is assuming that you will forgive everyone who is indebted to you. But he starts with this regular acknowledgement of your sin should be a part of your prayer life. It should be a theme in your prayer life. Not just go straight to God. God, here's what I need. Peace, I'm out of here. But God, here is my sin. That we make effort to recount our sin, to confess our sin, to keep short accounts of our sin. We need to do that in our prayers frequently. Ever hurt somebody? You ever hurt somebody with your words or your actions? I have. Ever been hurt by somebody's words or actions? Amen. Everybody's more likely to say that, but we've all hurt somebody too. You ever tried to ignore it? Just try to, they hurt you and you just, they're not doing anything about it. Let's just try to move forward and have a relationship. Don't you feel like you're faking it? Don't you always feel like there's this elephant in the room? until we actually make a point to talk about it. And when you talk about it and you work through it and you acknowledge it, then there's progress made in your relationship. That's exactly how it is with God. It's exactly how it is with God. Our sin, even if it's against our neighbor, is sin against him. All sin is sin against him. And you've got to regularly confess that sin to him or you're not going to make a whole lot of progress in your relationship with God. Is your prayer life stale? Is your prayer life stagnant? Is your relationship with God not growing? Ask yourself, ask God to reveal to you, is there some unconfessed sin that I am not dealing with? Forgive us our sins, Lord. That's what Jesus says. We are to regularly pray. Whenever we pray, we need to deal with our sin. Now, if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here, but let me say this. Your very next prayer should be a prayer outlined in 1 John 1 9. Here's what it says. It says, if we confess our sins, he, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That prayer in 1 John 1 9 is not referring to the prayer that Jesus is talking about here in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is talking about regular confession of sin. Every single Christian needs to do that regularly. You're forgiven of all your sin, past, present, future, but you need to confess it. You don't just ignore it. You got to talk about it with God. Otherwise, you're going to be stagnant and not growing in your relationship with God. But this 1 John 1, 9 kind of prayer, kind of confession is, if you who are not a Christian will confess your sin to him, God, I am sinful. I am in need of you. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you Of some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. That means past, present, and future. That means that prayer is speaking to the prayer when you become a Christian. When you turn to God and you say, God, please forgive me of my sin. I have sinned against you. My whole life has been against you. Even the good things that I do, it's with selfish motives. I'm not living for you, the one who made me for yourself. 
God, I confess that to you. You become a Christian because he forgives you of your sin. Not that he doesn't let your sin go unpunished. He doesn't. He's going to punish Jesus, his own son, nailing him to the cross. He takes the punishment for our sin. He's the only one who could. I can't die for you. He died for you because he's the only one undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death. But he chooses to lay down his life. He didn't have to. He does it for you. So if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you. And he's just in forgiving you. Hear that? He's faithful and just. In other words, justice is still served. The crime is being paid for. It's being paid for by Jesus himself when he dies on the cross. So if you're not a Christian, that's the first prayer you need to pray. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You become a Christian. Christians are not people who are better than other people. Christians are not people who are sinless. Christians are people who are forgiven. That's all. We're just forgiven. Forgiven. And then Jesus acknowledges that if you're going to receive the forgiveness of the Lord, if you're going to confess the Lord and just know confidently full well because he loves you, that he's going to forgive you, you've also got to extend that kind of forgiveness to other people. People who are indebted to you. And I don't so much think he's talking about money. You owe me $50. He's not talking about that. He's talking about indebted to you in that they have sinned against you. They've not been so hot with you. You've got to beef with them. You've got to do to them what Jesus has done to you. Do not be the one to hold grudges and keep people indebted to you. I'll just make them pay for it. I'm not going to talk to them. Funny thing is when you do that, you're actually making yourself pay for it. You're locking yourself up. They're running around. They don't even think about you anymore and you're all locked up in bitterness. He says, no, if you've been forgiven, you forgive them and you'll find yourself freedom in that. Final line of prayer. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, as Matthew 6 goes on. Let me remind you that this prayer, again, is, is given within the context of our sent series, where Jesus has been using this lengthy section to prepare and send out his people on his mission. And so we're not going to really be truly sent We're not really going to be out and about on the mission of Jesus unless we're rubbing shoulders with people who are kind of rough around the edges. Unless we're rubbing shoulders with people who they might not be great examples to us. Unless we're rubbing shoulders with people where it's kind of difficult to live out your faith around them. We're not going to be sent if we're not doing that. And so we've got to pray this kind of defensive prayer in the midst of your offensive mission that he sent you on. Something like, Father, in order to reach people who are far from you, I've got to get near to them. And so keep me from falling. It's kind of like those medical professionals who were treating people with Ebola. They had to get very close in order to treat them. And the same goes with you. In order to see sinners come to repentance and made right with God, you've got to be near sinners. You you have to be. You have to be. Otherwise, we revert back to 1960 and fundamentalism, which proved to be completely ineffective. Let's create this parallel society. And the church drastically dropped and declined in America, didn't it? We've got to get close. And so we have to pray, Lord, while I'm close, lead me not into temptation. While I'm on the offense, there's this defensive prayer. God, keep me faithful to you. I want to continue to walk with you. Lead us not into temptation. Such a beautiful, beautiful prayer of Jesus. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation not to be chanted over and over and over again like some kind of magic voodoo spell but it's the content of the prayer that we approach God as a father who loves you and loves to be with you even when you don't know what to say later the Bible will say that the Holy Spirit speaks for us those groans of our souls that are too deep for words anybody 
I read that and I say, that's exactly what I feel sometimes. God, I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm just babbling. But you know my pain. You know my heart. You're my father. You know me better than anybody else does. Approach him as father. You approach him being concerned about his name and his glory. That your prayers are God-centered, not me-centered. And even the things that you pray for yourself, as you should, are so that you can make much of him. Your prayers are prayers that are concerned with advancing the kingdom of God, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, that your rule and reign would happen in the hearts of the people uh, around me. You pray for provision, but so that you can glorify him with your provision, with your daily bread. You regularly are confessing your sin and not holding anybody else in debt to you because God forgives you so you forgive them and then you pray for strength and the ability to remain holy in the midst of the mission it's this God centered mission driven prayer not quite what we were chanting on the wrestling mat was it it's not quite what Christendom has made it to become it's an incredible prayer Sometimes if you're stale and stagnant in your prayer life, I'd encourage you to do what I do all the time. So I just open up Matthew 6 or Luke 11, and I'll just go line by line. I'll read the line and try my best way to, to pray that. Read the next line, and my best way, I'll, I'll try to, to pray it as best I can. Now, we close with Jesus' parable here in verses 5 through 10. Let's, let's close and read this. Very interesting parable together. And then he said to them, Which of you has a friend? Would go to him in midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's an interesting parable, isn't it? It's pretty interesting. The focus, to be clear, of this parable is on the one who is asking. Not on God. If we made it about God, wow, he would not be so desirable. Go away. I'm sleeping. Don't bother me. Fortunately, this isn't about God. It's about you. It's about your diligence in pursuing the Lord. That's why Jesus says, which of you would be so bold as to go to a friend at at midnight? It's about you. It's about your boldness and in prayer, he says, here's a story. Imagine if a very important guest friend of yours arrives very late or surprises you and you have nothing to offer them. And so you go to your other friend at midnight and you say, hey, I need, I need, some, I need some bread. But it's so late, the, the friend says, it's late. I'm in bed with my family. You need to leave, but you don't leave. You just keep knocking. And eventually, as you keep knocking, I need bread. Don't bail on me. <laughs> he opens the door because of what? It says because of your impudence, which is a fancy word for your persistence. Keep knocking. The point is persistent prayer. Keep praying in this fashion. Keep praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Whenever you pray. Pray often. Pray like this. And then the next section. Which is so often taught and read and quoted alone. Goes on. Verse 9. I tell you. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. And so we read that and we say, God, I've asked. And I'm not receiving. I've sought and I have not found. I've knocked and the door has not been opened. And when we take that by itself, that's called taking Scripture out of context. It seems like God's not faithful to His promises. But in context, it's whenever you pray like this, as you ask, you will receive. Whenever you pray like this, when you seek, you will find. Whenever you pray like this, when you knock, the door will be open. When you pray with a concern for his name to be known. When you pray with a concern for his kingdom advancing. When you pray that you would honor him with your provision. Give me exactly what I need. Nothing more. Nothing less. When you pray with a heart of openness about your struggles and your sin. When you pray with a heart to extend forgiveness to other people. When you pray for holiness. On the mission. It's that God-centered, mission-given prayers. When you pray those prayers, ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. That's how we're to pray, whenever we pray. And so this is when we assess our prayer lives. How is your prayer life? We must go to Him as Father with a deep desire to be with Him. Not to manipulate him. Let's be honest, that's most of our prayer lives. I want to be with you. I want to open up my soul and I trust you knowing that you know best. I'm telling you, that's when your prayer life will be fulfilling. That's when your prayer life will be impactful. That's when the door will be open to this new world of your prayer life. I can honestly say that there's nothing, nothing more fulfilling in this world for me and for you than being with your heavenly father. Nothing. When you're with your heavenly father in prayer, the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. I'm telling you the arboretum, I have hiked many, many, many miles around that arboretum over the years. And not once have I ever left in those prayer walks feeling like it was wasted time. Oftentimes I'll show up incredibly anxious. The brink of an anxiety attack myself. My chief sin, to be open and honest. And I go and I walk and I pray. And I come out as if it was never even there. It's the most amazing times. You just go and be with your father in prayer. Many times having no idea what I'm going to say or how to say it. Not sounding very eloquent. But just, God, I want to be with you. I want to talk to you. I know you call me to come to you with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, letting my requests be made known to you and the peace of God that passes all understanding is going to come over and guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus and he does it every time. You just got to come to him and pray whenever you pray like this. Would you guys close your eyes? Before we pray together, let's let this time of eyes closed just be a time for us to assess our own prayer lives. Assess our hearts. Some of us in here, we just need to plead with God right now to give us this God-given desperation for prayer. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit brings things to your remembrance and one of the things he likes to bring to your remembrance is the need to pray. Sometimes when somebody says, would you pray for me? I'll then turn around and pray, God help me to remember to pray for that. I don't have a pen or a piece of paper on me. And he loves to do that. Some of you just need to say, God remind me to pray, stir me to pray more. I want to be a man or a woman of prayer. We want to be a people of prayer. Our Father. And talk to God. 
others of us in here, we need to pray the initial prayer, and that is the First John 1-9 prayer. A prayer confessing our sins to the one who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved when you say, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize that you loved me so much that you didn't leave me in this. But you came to earth as a man, Jesus of Nazareth. You walked in my shoes, living a life I could not live, sinless, undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death, and yet dying and laying down your life to pay the just penalty for my sin to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And because you're God, Satan and sin and death has no hold on you. You resurrected to new life. And you reign supreme as king of kings and lord of lords. You're waiting to hear our prayers. You long to be with us. Wherever you're at, you talk to God. Just talk to him. Lord, we pause to pray. For many of us, this might be our first time uttering words of prayers today. For many of us, this might be our first time uttering words of prayers in several days. This might be our first time praying in weeks, months for some of us. We come to you. Thank you that you're our Father. That you hear us. You delight in us who are your children. Make us people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.